Hello, this is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia with a message for all those that are hungry and thirsty for reality, for ultimate meaning and destiny in your lives. For those that are new, I have a website at ultimatemeaning.com. There, there is a flip book that you can read very original writing by the gifting of the Spirit of God through me and understanding as well. And you'll see a lot of print that is highlighted in red. Those are actually links to many videos that show amazing and profound evidence from many fields of science and archaeology as to the reality of what I am going to share here. About. And what am I sharing about? The very reason for which all things consist and exist, the very source of reality, which is an ultimate perfection of love, that is the very source of love and of beauty and all good. And I'm going to just briefly define that. This love is the highest form of love. In the Greek language, there's three types of love. There's agape, philio, and eros. Philio is the feeling, the psyche. Eros is sexual. But agape is the highest. And basically, you can define this love as a quality that always freely chooses the highest lasting good over any lesser choice. Because any lesser choice as such would have a measure of corruption in it. This love is so integral and pure that it is, as it were, a blazing fire of judgment against all that is contrary to this love. It is the defensive aspect of love, which is revealed in nature in the negative symbol, which represents an indestructible foundation and also the cutting off of all corruption. Yes, this love will not condone what is contrary to love. The moment that happened, it would no longer be love. It would no longer be the opposite of corruption and the destroyer of corruption to ensure that good could continue without end. And even in science, the second law of thermodynamics says, that everything that is left on its own goes in a direction of disorder. And so when we are cut off from this love, when we go in rebellion against this love or bounce off this ultimate reality, there is consequences. There's reaping and sowing. It goes in a destructive direction. I am speaking of the one true eternal God. This love is so ultimate that it is represented in its ultimate expression in the positive symbol, which is formed by crossing of the negative symbol. And that is that this love is so great that, this that the creator of the universe, that created all these galaxies, and we know how vast the universe is. This planet of Earth is like a little teeny speck of dust in the midst of all the grains of sand upon the Earth. Yes, God is great enough to come down and not only communicate with his creation as a human being as he did in Genesis 18 with Abraham who ate food and addressed one of those three angels as Yahweh which is the most sacred name for God before they went and destroyed Sodom. He's also so great in his love that Jesus Christ that actually came there and communicated with Abraham before the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 18. He also came and was incarnated and condescended into this world and became a perfect atoning substitutionary sacrifice so that you could repent and receive his love and be reconciled to God. He suffered more than you, a mere creature, and humbled himself more than you, a mere creature. 
How can one reject such love? There is no love that can be imagined that is greater than this love or that can exist that is greater. And so only this love could be an ultimate trustworthiness worthy to contain unlimited power and life and authority without being corrupted by it or using it in a corrupt way, thus indicative that he is the very source. And thus, only this love could be who the one true eternal God is. And the only other thing I want to say to those that are new is that this one true God is in three personages because he must, to be almighty, over all existence, be in personage over the three ultimate aspects of existence, which are beyond creation, in creation, and filling all creation and omnipresence, and beyond. As God the Father, he sees the end from the beginning, beyond the creation realm, separate and above and beyond it. The Son, the word Son means expression, the Son is the only very expression, the only one and very expression of God the Father into the creation realm to communicate with the creation realm. And the Son can be in many places on many different planes of time to communicate with thousands of people all at the same time. And yet it can be very personal to each person because there are many planes of time. There's not just one plane of time. There are many dimensions of existence and there are many dimensions of time. So God can communicate with the creation realm. If he couldn't, he would be limited in his greatness. And thirdly, God the Holy Spirit in omnipresence attached to every particle, particle of existence, filling all creation and dimensions of time and beyond with God the Father. And so there must be, and if you were in personage and you needed to rule over those three ultimate aspects of existence, you would also have to be in three personages. So it's one God in three personages for governance of all existence. And I want to share with you today, now introducing to you who I humbly represent the supreme intelligence of the universe and far more than that, the very source of reality. And so I seek to speak these messages that they be, may be messages that are beyond myself coming from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. I want to now have a song that we sing and worship before I give a little bit more of an introduction into how I share this and then go on with the message. And so I will do that. We will go and sing a worship song now, which is picked just kind of randomly with prayer that God would lead me to the right song. And so this is the song for today.
microphone. To be broken more indeed, transformation. Yes, it comes through allowing God to be the potter in our life. Choosing to buy of him the gold tried in the fire. To rather experience trials in this present life that will break those things in us that are deceptions of pride and of self. That we might be brought in to a place of great abundance of life, dwelling as a living river of water flowing from the inner depths of our being. And many people, before they found Christ, their lives were like a cistern that could hold no water with many cracks. And they feel so unworthy because of all the evil and the wickedness that they have done. But God comes along and he fills those cracks with gold and he takes the things that were distortions of the image of God in their lives and he makes something of even greater beauty than if they were not from such a damaged past. When Christ comes into their lives, as it says in the Word of God, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. The evidence of true conversion is a person that reflects the fruits of the Spirit, the glory of God's presence, that is filled with liberty and love, and is childlike, not filled with pride and conceit and the rigidity of one's own concepts out of their own self-sufficiency of pride or the immorality of foolishness and weirdness. So I want to share with you today how I share these messages. The Word of God says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. And that is what I will seek to do. I will seek to speak as the oracles of God. When it says, if any man, it refers to women and men, of course, in that culture. And it's particularly in regards to gathering together to worship Jesus Christ in assembly. There should be total liberty to share, as it was in the early church in the beginning. One has a song, one has a word of encouragement, another a word of exhortation, another a word of knowledge, whatever gifts, a prayer. But when we feel the Spirit rising up in us, let us not quench the Spirit, but let us speak it forth. But if the leadership doesn't allow that, and oh, you got to get permission to use the mic. How can God fully move through his body? So that as the word of God says, he gives more abundant honor unto the part that lacks so that there should be no schism in the body. In other words, the tendency for people that are more charismatic to be looked up to and to have identity in them is brought down. Because God brings in a more abundant gift on someone that is not so attractive, not so easily looked up to. To humble those that tend to be looked up to. And when pride is broken, since contention comes by pride, division comes by pride, it is then that the glory of God can fill assembly as never before. When the leadership isn't worried about a mess and trust God to move through the body, it doesn't mean that they don't still have their position of authority to lead a church. It means that they learn to be sensitive, to let themselves facilitate Christ the head flowing through each member of the body. God is bringing a new order into the church in these last days, and this is one of the things he is seeking to bring about. But if there is hardness of heart, that cannot happen. And so I want to share with you that God 
also says in his word in Revelations 19.10, worship God for the testimony of Jesus as the spirit of prophecy. And what this means is this, is that when we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of great reverence and love for God, we can be filled with his spirit in an overflow beyond ourselves that can result in creative utterances that are prophetic, that testify the reality of Jesus Christ in the midst of the assembly and in our lives, that reflect the glory of God that is indwelling within us. We don't put plastic smiles on our face to try to attract people to us and say, oh, look at how happy we are. No, we're real. But when the glory of God shines forth through us, someone that maybe has a sober disposition that isn't so attractive, the light of God's glory comes through that, usually in a smile, but it can come through it with the radiation of grace either way. That says of the writings of the Apostle Paul by the early church fathers that he was a very sober-looking and somber person, but when you talked to him, his face lit up like a lamp with the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, I'm going to seek to speak this message out of a heart set and mind set of worship so that I speak as the oracles of God, or in other words, prophetically, as to what God is saying to the churches in this hour. And I want to share with you that what I do is I cast lots using two random applications on the internet to get two chapters that are any possibility of the chapter from the whole Bible. I do that with great reverence and prayer over those applications before God. And then I meditate on those two chapters for a half an hour and I preach. You see, those two chapters will always bear witness with each other as to the theme of what God is wanting to say. When it is done with a heart that is right with God, you do this and you're not right with God, then it would be divination. But it is very scriptural. The casting of the lot is mentioned in Proverbs 16, 33, the casting of the lot and the whole disposing thereof is the Lord, is of the Lord. It was extensively used throughout the New Old Testament. It was used by the early church to choose the apostle who would take the place of Judas. It was used by powerful movements of revival like the Moravian movement, which was a very powerful movement of revival in church history. They even chose their wives through the casting of Lot. I'm not suggesting you necessarily do that in your church. <laughs> I wouldn't dare do anything without knowing that church was in a state of total purity and revival. There would be a lot of problems. Okay. Um, So I want to share with you the two chapters I received today. I don't know what I'm going to say. I just meditated on them for half an hour. But that facilitates letting God speak to you. And so I'm turning now to those two chapters that I received on February the 10th of 2023 by the casting of Lot before God. I received Romans 1 and Esther 1. And in those two chapters, you will discover the message is basically this. Becoming familiar with the blessings of God brings pride and presumption that leads to unthankfulness, hate, and division instead of the opposite. This happens due to the lack of the fear of God. This results in the virgin becoming the whore, but God will replace the whore with the pure bride of Christ. That is the message that I basically received from these two chapters. And so first of all, I received Romans 1, and so we will read that first. The theme verse out of Romans is, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Actually, that wasn't the verse that I was planning to make, the theme verse. It's the next one. I accidentally did that. It's this one. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Now we go to Esther chapter 1, and many of us are familiar with the account 
the historical account of Esther and of the deliverance of Israel through Esther. But in chapter 1, we have the very beginning of what brought about Esther, which represents the bride of Christ in this chapter. And so we read, the king was wanting, he was having a great feast. This is over the, an enormous kingdom of many provinces, stretching all the way from India right to, you know, all the Mideast and so on. Over a hundred some odd provinces. And so we read here, they were all having a feast for a really long period of time. I think it was 180 days. But at the last bit of the time, he invited everyone from the whole country to come into the court if they wanted to visit and partake and have some free food and amazing drinks from golden cups and so on, as mentioned. But we read this beginning in verse 9. Also Vashti the queen made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Mehuman and Bistha and Harbona and Bigtha and Abatha, no, Abatha and Zethar and Carthus, the seven chamberlains that served in the presence of Ahasuerus, the king, to bring Vashti the queen before the king with the crown royal, to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair to look upon. But the queen, but queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore was the king very wroth, and his anger burned in him. You can imagine what he felt like. Here I made her queen, and she's treating me like this like embarrassing me. And so then there is the advice that is given as to what to do because of Queen Vashti. And Mucum answered before the king and the princess Vashti, the queen, had not done wrong to the king only, but also to all the princes and to all the people that are in all the provinces of the king of King Ahasuerus. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women, so that they shall despise their husbands in their eyes. When it shall be reported, the king Ahasuerus commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him, but she came not. Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen, Thus shall there arise too much contempt and wrath. If it please the king, let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes, that it be not altered, that Vashti come no more before king Ahasuerus, and let the king give her royal estate unto another that is better than she. Now how does this compare with Romans chapter 1? Well, I read the theme verse. It's very obvious. Here is Queen Vashti. The king chose to make her queen. He was the king. He was the main ruler. He chose a very beautiful-looking lady and made her queen. And she's become so familiar with him and familiar with all the wealth and the glory around her that she's forgotten how good the king was to her to have chosen her and made her queen. And so she's so presumptuous that she doesn't see the, because she's so familiar with all people looking up to her and so on, she's blinded to the consequences of the disrespect that she's treated the king with. She's forgotten how good the king was to her and failed to show him respect. And of course, this queen represents what brings apostasy in the body of Christ. 
that's what we see in Romans that I read here earlier. Or did I read it? Yeah. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And this is a basic principle. That when we know God, just like Vashti knew the king, she knew him intimately, obviously, he's married to him. They begin to become so familiar that you forget. And in that, there is unthankfulness. And it is when you know God and you are not thankful for the knowledge you have of God, this hardness creeps in and blinds you so that you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins as it says in Peter and you know I didn't plan to do this thing in Peter but I can turn here quickly to various scriptures and go there to Peter where it mentions this I don't know if it's Second Peter first, but we'll find out very quickly which chapter it is. It is definitely Second Peter, as it is not First Peter. So we'll go to Second Peter chapter 1. And we read this here. I could just quote it, but it says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Corruption comes into our lives through a state of being that is always grasping for temporal fulfillments of pleasure, that eclipses our love for God. When that happens, there's a deception that creeps in us, a presumption of pride that blinds us. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you so that you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the experiential knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Queen Vashti forgot how good the king was to her to make her queen. She lost her reverence for the king and treated him with disrespect. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. It is important that we have diligence in our walk with God. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to go on further here in this chapter, and I want to see if it's in the last chapter of this book or, or the first Peter, something else that's important. It's in first Peter, this other part. So we will go to first Peter. Second Peter, first Peter. First Peter, probably chapter five. I wasn't planning to go into the book of Peter. It's just the way things are going. Here again, it says this. I want to make sure I get the right, right section here. 
It might be chapter four. And um, so we will just um, continue with this wherever God leads. Okay, I'm just going to go with chapter five here. It says here, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be clothed with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. God is wanting us as his people to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And that only happens out of the genuine fear of God. And this other passage I was looking for is most likely in another part of Peter, so I'm not going to bother with it. I just want to continue on with what I am sharing here from the Word of God. Vashti represents the apostate church that has become a whore that will be replaced by the Bride of Christ. It says in Matthew six twenty three to 24, But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness? No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Queen Vashti became enamored with all the women looking up to her and all the comforts of this life that she forgot who her husband was, that he was the king and that he was the one that gave her all this goodness. This is also shown in the account of Hosea, who's commanded to take a wife on him that is unfaithful to represent Israel who fell away from God. So what is the root of this unthankfulness? It is the failure to show genuine reverence towards God, genuine thankfulness towards God. To lose our first love relationship with God. How does this happen? How does this hardness happen? How does this creep in? It makes it very plain in, in Ephesians, somewhere in Brown chapter 4 there, that it, what blinds people is the hardness of heart. But the hardness of heart is because we're not in a relationship where our hearts are soft before God. And what stops our hearts from being soft before God is when our lives are caught up with busyness and with other things that are temporal, and we fail to abide in Christ. And the way we abide in Christ is the way, if we were genuinely converted, we receive Christ. It says in the Word of God, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. The genuine fear of God is the secret to a deep, intimate, abiding relationship of union with God that will allow his glory to be reflected through us. The king wanted to show to all of his subjects how beautiful the queen was. He wanted it to be a reflection of the glory of who he was and his kingdom was to that whole nation so that they would be encouraged that they have such a wonderful king and queen. But she failed to be transparent before the king. Her heart became opaque and hard. 
And what causes us not to have transparency and honesty again is the failure to enter into the genuine fear of God. It says the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And it's to them he will show his covenant. So what is this secret? It is mentioned in Isaiah 33, where it says that the fear of the Lord is his treasure, and it is referring to Jesus Christ the Messiah. That's very obvious from the context. The fear of the Lord is his treasure. The very secret in the triunity of the one true God that I described in three personages, that is one God in governance, the secret of that deep abiding relationship is the fear of God, because in the fear of God there is the secret of abiding. And what is that secret of abiding? It is a choice in your heart and a turning in your heart to reciprocate the reality of who God really is in a heart that is totally like a sponge filled with such thankfulness to receive of his mercy and of his grace and of his goodness. First, in the negative aspect that I mentioned, which is that his love is so pure that it will not tolerate corruption in our lives, that he will be hard on us if we are his children to bring us out of those things that would corrupt our lives. That's why he says, I counsel thee to buy me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich in white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear. Because when we make a choice to say to God, Father, I would rather you have your way in my life, so I give my life as clay before you. If I have to go through trials to be close to you, that's fine. Your word says, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth them out of them all. If that's what it takes to be close to you, so be it. But I will put you first. I'm not going to get caught up with serving mammon, with making a bunch of money, with putting all my time and energy into temporal things like watching sports instead of praying and seeking your face or seeking material blessings or whatever else it is in this world that would take up all your energy away from a love relationship with God. And with many, it can be the busyness of what you're even doing for God. If that's void of a life of prayer and fellowship with God, you're going to fall away from your first love. This happened to the church of Ephesus. It's a great illustration because Ephesus had a very deep harbor and a lot of wealth because of all the trading that came in because of that harbor. But they kept cutting down the trees of the hills around their city without breaking up the ground around those trees they cut up to plant new trees. And so there was great erosion over time. Now, in these many centuries later, that harbor is seven miles away from that city and shallow. And the city became poor, obviously, because it no longer had a harbor. It was because when those trees that were there represent the blessing of God out of revival and of what he's done. So God blesses you with children and other things materially because he believes he can trust you. But then you become enamored with all the focus and time and energy on these things and you have failed to break up the fall of ground in your heart and to seek God and to put your children on the altar. Abraham willingly put his child on the altar. Some of God took their children away from them, become so rebellious because they got killed in an accident or whatever, that they shake their fist at God and have become rebels. There is instances of people like that, which I, I could tell you one example, but I'd rather not. Out of respect. But he was a man that was powerfully used of God. In powerful outreaches, and I pray that in the end he got saved. But he was so angry because God used him powerfully. He wrote a book called Anointed for Burial. Used him powerfully. But then his 12-year-old son somehow was killed. I don't know the details. And he fell into deception in the new age and became angry and bitter at Christians. 
I hope before he died in that car accident, he turned to the Lord. God only knows, thank God I don't judge people. But I'm telling you that he wants us all to have such a deep love relationship with him. Like the woman that broke the alabaster at his feet, he wants you to break your life at his feet out of realizing how good he is to you, that you've been forgiven of so much, that you have an eternal inheritance with him. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified. I know how unworthy I am. I know how rebellious I was as a Christian. I know the temper tantrums at times I threw before God to the point that I thought he could never forgive me. But I immediately repented, but I was so condemned. But I came to God immediately in repentance, thank God. The genuine fear of God is the reciprocation, first of all, of God in his holiness that is severe against sin in our lives and corruption in our lives and in this world and so we see all of the suffering around us and the suffering in our own lives and we are tempted to focus on that and forget that the reason there are these consequences of reaping and sowing is because we have bounced off that ultimate reality which is love wrongly and God is wanting to bring us into a deeper relationship with him where we learn to have a deep union with him in communion and harmony with this ultimate reality, which is an ultimate perfection of love that is so very pure. He wants you to know no condemnation. This is the other thing. The enemy comes along and he tries to condemn us when we're in a trial and all the dross comes to the surface and say, that's who you are, so that you'll put your identity in the lies of Satan, that you are unworthy before God and God has rejected you and you may as well give up. No, you're not the dross. The gold that is being refined by the fire is who you are. And when you repent and say, God, forgive me that there's all these things that came to the surface through this trial. Thank you for showing me, Lord, all these deceptions I didn't know were there. I repent and I thank you I'll never be that way again. You are changed from glory to glory so that you will reflect his glory and not be like Vashti that failed to reflect the glory of the king and of that kingdom. But God is bringing forth in these last days a bride church, a conquering, fearless, victorious bride church. They will say, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And when you have an unconditional faith in love and God like that, through trial, he will bring you into a wealthy place where he can trust you with blessing. It says, after you have suffered a while, he will strengthen, establish, and settle you. That was the case with Job. That was the case with almost every example of the patriarchs. For example, Joseph being thrown in prison. How do you think he felt about God allowing that to happen in his life and having his own family try to kill him? How do you think he had such a fear of God that that did not move him? He still feared God and loved God. And it says concerning Joseph, until his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. The same was the case with Naomi and Ruth. Naomi loses her husband, loses her two sons, and is left with Ruth. She comes back to her country saying, don't call me Naomi, which means pleasant, for God has dealt severely with me. But she still had a faith in God and recognized that God's hand was in her life. She didn't become bitter at God. When you have the genuine fear of God, you recognize that he is the potter no matter how difficult your circumstances are or how great your loss is. You have an unconditional love. When Christ said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, I will give it you. 
To be in his name means to be in his love and in conformity to his love. And to be in conformity to his love means to be in conformity to the death of Christ on the cross, who had a total, pure, selfless faith like an, faith like an open hand in the Father, though he was suffering the judgment from the Father. In essence, he was saying, though the Father is slaying me, I am still trusting him. And he said, into thy hands I commend my spirit. No, he experienced the forsaking of God's judgment, but he was always God. He never ceased to become God. He was always in a state of selfless trust. That's why it says in Romans 1, 4, that he rose from the dead by the spirit of holiness. His spirit was in a state of selfless trust. That is a state of holiness of purity, no rebellion. Into thy hands I commend my spirit. He is very God and always maintained that oneness with the Father of selfless trust. We cannot serve God and mammon. And when the eye of our soul is evil, it is because we are in a state that is grasping after temporal fulfillments or something rather than what is ultimately lasting and real, and that is love, the purest form of love, agape love. Who is who God is and could only be to be entrusted to be God or to, be con to continue without corruption. We have a destiny of heaven where there is no corruption. And that is wonderful to know. And God is calling the church right now to repent and come back to their first love and break the alabaster box before his feet and repent of not loving one another. We're to love one another fervently with a pure heart. We're to learn to wash one another's feet. We're, we should be treating one another with the respect and awe that we come before God with. If we're not treating our brothers and sisters in Christ like that, we're failing to obey the commandment of Christ, which says that we're to love one another as he loved us, and that we're to love God with all our being. And if we don't do that, he cannot dwell within us. He dwells within those that keep his commandments. And his commandment is that you believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And to believe on the name of Jesus is to be, believe in the sense that your life is being believing with the heart so that your life is put into conformity to who Jesus is to the very being of who God is, that you have the same love in you for your brothers and your sisters. And that means that the church will never be the way it used to be. That the only secret to conquering your nation, which right now is on the verge of total apostasy and destruction, and that's happening to many nations around the world, is what I am sharing now, that we as the people of God begin to come together and seek God in prayer as never before, that we wake up out of our sleep and we never go back to being the typical church. I've written a book called Godhead Ship and Body Invasion, which you can purchase on Amazon. My other book is Afterlife Incredible Irrefutable, recently published there. But this book about God, headship, and body invasion shares everything that you can do in your church to not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting your local assembly. God is calling us all to come back to a first love relationship with him. I believe in, in your city and town. I'm in a town here. There's different ones. The churches should get together and fast and pray for three days. Maybe even do an Esther fast if you can. Those of you that are physically able to do it. And seek God as never before. Cry out to God for your nation. That the church would wake up and that we would, when we come together, it would be his house of prayer and holiness. You know, all these churches, they have pre-service prayer meetings. Why don't you make your church service a prayer meeting? And start on your knees before God. And instead of having some church service that starts early in the morning when older people can't 
Make it because of your health conditions. Why don't you have a church service that starts around one o'clock or two o'clock and goes for four hours so you can really break through and where each member of the body can freely function in the gifts of the Spirit. But where you start on your knees and faces and become more crunch, conscious of Christ in your midst, then you go into beautiful music and song, into the gifts of the Spirit and the leadership at the end preaches. Oh, God's wanting us to come back to our first love. That we with all saints may comprehend the height and the depth and the breadth of the love of God. That we might be filled with all the fullness of God as a body and also individually. Then when we gather together to pray, we'll truly be in his name. And there will be powerful tearing downs of the strongholds of darkness so that your nation is saved and it becomes a nation of righteousness. Let us arise to the occasion of this time to do this for the glory of God. So thank you for listening to this message. And you can support me on my website, by the way, at loverealize.com. I am in serious need right now, and I'm trusting God that he's going to work it out financially for me so I can be free of debt and focus on his work. Thank you. God bless you all.